This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, this sucks. No shit, eh? Yeah. yeah. So that's my job. That's my only job is just to make sure I see that button come up. Yeah. Okay, we're good to go. I'm really yeah. bad for it. But yeah, I've literally, dude, I've done a whole podcast and at the end, like we're closing out and then I'm like, okay, I go to hit the, rec- re- like stop recording and I realized <laughs> that it was, I just hit the record. I was like, oh, fuck. and it, the funny thing is like, he was just the, my guest and it was Dean Tromblade. He just signed off and uh, I didn't even tell him, like, I didn't tell him like, for like two weeks he's like oh let me know if you need any pictures and i was like i didn't respond and i was so embarrassed <laughs> yeah and finally i had to like i had to confess I was like dude you're not gonna believe what i did and i told him and he's then he laughed he's like well we'll just re-record it and it's actually good that we did because the second time was a lot better than the first time but oh nice that's like, good because it can go the other way for sure yeah i felt like a tool yeah well, that's kind of like it's kind of like talk you know trying to force the conversation out of answers you already know you know like yeah. it Kevin and I have talked about quite a bit. Like we chat every day and then it's like, what are we going to chat about again? Like, Oh yeah. We already felt like we've already talked about this and it's yeah. Try to bring it up and make it smooth. is sometimes hard when you've already bullshitted about it for two days straight. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I know when I've done ones like with buddies before where I've said like, Hey, I want to do, I want to talk about this. The only way it works out for me is like not talk about it at all. And then, you know, as soon as we get together, hit record, and then you can kind of actually talk through it. Otherwise, you're 45 minutes into a conversation thinking like, you know, that probably would have been good to record. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're just not as authentic the second time you do it. And you miss it, all the good stuff. Yeah. They're not yeah, the for same. Sure. It's not the same. So how's things with you, man? You were just down in, down in the States there on a sheep hunt. That looked like a lot of fun. Yeah. Down in Mexico. Um that was pretty good. I mean, it wasn't, cool. I've yeah, full disclosure. I wasn't guiding or hunting. I just got asked to tag along. Um, 
and it was a blast. Like I've never, I mean, I've been on a, a handful of fair number of stone sheep hunts at this point, but never um, big horns or doll sheep or desert or anything like that. So it was pretty cool just to kind of see how other things operate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a big, that's a big landscape change too. going from Mexico oh, yeah. sheep to BC stone sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big time. Interesting. Like, you know, the things that you, I guess that we take for granted or the things that you don't really click in with. Uh, so a kind of a bit of backstory. One of the guys down there was my Wrangler last year uh, guiding. So when he first came in, he's from Sonora, from Hermosillo, born and raised there. So when I first met him, he'd already been in for like two weeks or so trailing horses and cutting some trail and stuff. And that was, uh, I think I first linked up with him like the 10th of August. So kind of that late, anyone who was up there around late July, you know, early August, just rained, stormed and stormed and rained. And, uh, so one of his first comments was basically like, there's so much water here. Like, I can't believe the amount of water. It's just, whether it's raining or river crossings or lakes, like that was pretty mind blowing. And so that was an interesting thing going then down to the desert. And then you're like, okay, well, there's no water, which makes it easy to get around everywhere. Like you're not, you're not kind of thinking like, well, can I wade this or how do we get across this river or whatever, or is this too soft to walk in, but you don't have water to just drink anywhere you go, which is a big change for us. So. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, what is it? Middle of, well, end of January, I guess. And you're down there hunting sheep compared to hunting goats in Northern BC at that same time of the year. So quite the change. Is it easier to locate them though? when it's like that dry, like just look for body pockets of water and no we we never found any water there i was told uh, by one of the guides that there are some pools like occasionally in certain parts of the ranges of the island you'll find some pools of water and stuff but um we never saw anything that even remotely resembled damp uh not even condensation in the tents or in the mornings or anything like that i mean we were right in the ocean like when we were up on the on the little mountains and stuff like that uh we were right above the ocean so you could see that but i found them really hard to spot Really? Yeah. Well, what, yeah. Quite where, a bit where are they harder. Their, where are they getting their water from then? Uh, from the, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but from the Sohuaro cactus, those oh, big okay. giant ones, they'll headbutt yeah. those. Uh, and then, you know, I guess eat the flesh and drink the water out of them. So, wow. which is wild. Like it is, it was, that was another thing too. Like to think you're in a desert, it's such a dry dry place and i guess they'd had a pretty they must have had a pretty wet summer or spring or yeah summer or fall uh because it was the guide said it was quite a bit greener than what he's seen it before in the past uh still very brown but um yeah just so different right like i don't know you you look around and you think how could anything live in this and then there's tons of sheep no kidding and they got a healthy sheep population yeah it's got to be like the I think it's probably, you know, it'd be up there like best sheep hunting you could find in North America. As far as like a wild population of sheep where it was still like, you know, honest, hard hunting. Cause you, to me, it's like, you don't want to go and like every corner you walk around, there's just animals everywhere. And it's like a farm, right? You still want to feel like you're, Uh you're hunting an actual hunt and have that experience. I would think I wasn't the hunter, but, um, yeah, so to see that many, I mean, we saw like 48 rams in six and a half days. Oh, wow. Uh, so to, to look through that and cover the country and and see a bunch of uh, ewes and stuff too, I didn't keep count of those, but 
and then still have it be like a hard hunt where you're glassing your ass off and they blend in surprisingly well in that terrain now it's pretty cool yeah no doubt i'm talking yeah, about I'm... an easy way to keep your drive going too like if you got a target kind of size animal that you want or whatever but you keep seeing sheep and you yeah. might not see what you're looking for i can see that be like okay what's around that next corner what's around the yeah. next corner how do you see that? yeah so w- one of the guides there kelly robertson he's a guy who's uh he's probably guided a close to 20 years now mostly like northwest territories and the yukon a little bit in bc but stones and dolls primarily dolls he has done some guiding down there as well and that was one thing he was like right off the hop we're looking for a 180 and to me truthfully like i've never really paid attention to big horns at all i've just kind of been focused on on thin horns and stone sheep and uh so it's kind of like not really a a number i can visualize on a on a bighorn sheep but uh you obviously know it's a big ram and i don't know it's just kind of it's so different than hunting stone sheep like hunting stone sheep the idea of walking past like three book rams to find a bigger book ram is like mind-blowing yeah and i said that to the client and he laughed as well he's like i know right like this is kind of crazy but just it's that that's the genetics they have in the in that place and I think it's been pretty well managed over the years and there's not a lot of predation. So, um, you know, when clients are paying that kind of money, that's sort of what they're after. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. But, uh, yeah, that, that makes it for a little easier on the guide. Cause like, there's nothing more like if you're hunting sheep and you're not, you can go days and then you're not seeing sheep. Oh, yeah. It's hard to stay focused and motivated to keep hunting yeah. sheep. So it makes, yeah. it must make it easier for a guy like for yourself. Like that's got to be one of the hardest things you're going out for a 10 day trip. You're on day eight and you're not seeing a lot of sheep. You're not seeing any sheep. Like it's, it's gotta be hard to keep the client motivated and keep yourself. Yeah. In a positive I, attitude. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever been like eight days in and never seen sheep. Uh, we certainly have not found the sheep, uh, you know, the, the caliber of sheep or the age of sheep we're after Mm -hmm. specifically age of sheep. I've had that happen before. Um, but I mean, I think it's different because when you're, when you are guiding, like the clients paid so much money. So that's your motivation, Mm -hmm. right? Like it doesn't matter how you feel in the morning, you wake up and you're like, this guy just laid down a huge chunk of money and I'm the one who has to make good on that. So, I mean, I know at the end of the day, like not every stone sheep hunts going to end successfully. Uh, so that's, you know, that's always tough. And you're always hoping that, that this, the one you're on at the time is not the one that's, that's going to be that way. But, um, no, I think the, the biggest driver there is just, you know, that the client just laid out a lot of, a lot of coins. So yeah, yeah, you just don't, you don't really have the opportunity to not be motivated. Yeah, I guess as a guide, yeah, for sure. Do you do you get a lot of guys coming in to do those stone sheep hunts that um, they just have no business? Like they didn't put it in the time for conditioning and you're basically just like, it'd be like me hunting with peak. I just got to piggyback and carry them around everywhere. I'm there for the pack out. You just got to pack me in. <laughs> hey, that's what horses are for. You'd fit in well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm built for. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say like, to- like there's not a lot of guys that are totally, totally unprepared, but for sure we've had, like, I've kind of seen it all. I've seen guys who come in super dialed, like down to it. They've got everything. They're self-sufficient. You know, you're just giving them the food and, mm-hmm. and they've got good glass and they know how to use it. The right tents, the right equipment. They've spun 
tons of time rucking and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. And then you get folks that uh, sometimes come in and they're just kind of like, Hey, this is, was a dream of mine. And, yeah, and they're not they're in great shape. And yeah, it can yeah. be tough. Like, and that's, I remember one time pretty early on when I was guiding, I'd was in reaching my boss and I told him something like, Hey, you know, I've got Rams. I know where some Rams are, but they're in a tough spot and blah, blah, blah. Like I just need fit. Yeah. I need, you need to send in someone who's fitter. And he was like, Hey buddy, if they were all like you, it would be an easy job. Yeah. Like if you yeah. could take every client everywhere, you know, I wouldn't pay you what I pay you. So does that, yeah. Does that, does that have a, a, a good impact on like the success of the hunt is the conditioning and it can for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I've, yeah. we've had guys before that, uh, not a not a ton because we're pretty good about pairing people into country that suits them a bit better or the outfitter is for that matter i don't have any say in it but uh but yeah you I've, we've certainly seen guys who couldn't hike right mm-hmm. like just physically it's too too demanding and i think you know it, it's hard to it's hard to visualize when you see photos when you see videos of that kind of stuff if you've never been in that environment it's really hard to put yourself there yeah. um so Pictures i think you never justify how steep, how, how rugged how steep, any yeah. of that, st- it, you know, be like, Oh yeah, that's steep. No, you don't get how steep that is. Like that's yeah. 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 Definitely. Those animals don't live in nice areas. Yeah. And I remember I had a conversation with a guy and they were talking about the Rocky mountains, like in the Colorado and they were saying, Oh yeah, we we've dealt with the Rocky mountains and you know, we've dealt with like high, el- like high elevation and, you know, altitude sickness and all that stuff. And I, and I was explaining to him like, but you got to remember that, in some areas of British Columbia, you're starting, you could be starting at sea level in some areas and you're still climbing mm-hmm. to the same, or like you're not, maybe not climbing the total same elevation as you are in Colorado, but the total gain that you just mm-hmm. climbed because you're, you're starting, your floor is a lot lower than it is. And that has a big difference to do with it. Absolutely. And I think just the terrain and the remoteness of it too. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have any experience hunting the lower 48, but I've had clients who've hunted, kind of all over the place in the States. And, and they've said before, like, we don't have anything like this. We don't have anything that's that big, that, that is that like wild and remote. And, you know, there's always a hiking trail or a pack trail or something somewhere. Right. I don't, I'm sure that's a little bit, you know, of an exaggeration, mm-hmm. but I don't think they have the scale that we have in BC and no. honestly the weather. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have seen this, like, I've had buddies we've talked about it. It's like you get the feeling that a lot of gear made isn't really made for Northern BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah like, like I, oh, this uh, is the toughest shit on earth. And you're like, yeah. fucking lasted me a season. Sorry. I don't know if I can swear on here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shit. Okay. Cock, you're good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I grew up in Northern BC, like Prince Rupert. So, okay. I mean, I know all about, weather and like and yeah we grew up on the ocean and like we hunted goats in granville channel and we did all that stuff and you know it the the gear that i mean you have to wear basically heli hansen rain gear and yeah. a lot of that stuff and it's i mean it's yeah the stuff that you buy and that they sell you know like sitka and kui and all that stuff it's great it's light but a lot of it yeah a lot of it it's it's not built for for some of the rugged yeah. stuff that you get in northern bc for sure. Where are you from, Pete? I'm from Invermere, BC, down in south, okay, the southeast. So Kevin and I met up in Prince Rupert when I lived up there for a few years. 
played hockey together and stuff, but I never hunted up there. I never hunted until I was in my early thirties. Okay. Always had a desire to just, it's just the way life was just never had anybody to take me out at the time when I was, you know, teenager and stuff and just kind of did other stuff always outdoors. Like, yeah. Whether it's fishing, camping, whatever, hiking, always outdoors, but yeah, never finally one day I was just like to hell with it. I'm, I'm hunting. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll teach myself. I'll find other. And I had some great people who, uh, you know, hunted their whole lives and they kind of took me under their wing. Cause I was like, you teach, I'll listen. And nice. Yeah. I've never looked back and just try to surround myself with people with higher skill levels. So you can still consistently learn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's huge for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one thing growing up in that kind of atmosphere, and I mean, it doesn't take you as long to acclimate. I mean, like we grew up on the Skeena River, basically between Rupert and Terrace, right? Just fishing and hunting that whole area. Just so, I mean, you, you, yeah, you just that's what we did. Um, so, I mean, I kind of know those conditions and know what they are. Like, I don't go up there. I haven't been up there in a long time, and now I'm down in southern BC, so I just hunt down here. And I got a family. I got young kids, so it's yeah. just easier for me. What was it like? Because you're originally from Ontario, right? Yeah, yeah. So what was it like coming to BC for you? Like at the beginning, what was it like for you? Like how long did it take you to make that kind of adjustment from coming from like Ontario to all the way to BC and then all of a sudden diving right in? Because I like you and I have talked before and like I think it was your uncle that got you into hunting, wasn't yep. it? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, my my oldest uncle got me into hunting when I was, I think he asked me to come out when I was maybe like 16, uh, yeah. 15, 16, somewhere around there. And and then I got my hunting license like a year later or something like that. And it was, you know, so different. And it's kind of funny because at the time I didn't, like, you only know what you know, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I grew up hunting Southern Ontario. Uh, I would do a little bit of like, right, we had a six-day rifle season for deer, um, nothing around where I lived. I lived just north of like an hour and a half north of Toronto. And he was about two hours Northwest or kind of more West, uh, of me. And so they had, my uncles had some property and stuff. And so we would hunt on farms, like hundred and hundred acre, 150 acre farms. And, uh, one of his buddies had like 150 acre parcel of land that was mostly bush that he bought for hunting. So that's, that was kind of my experience hunting and I'd never done anything I'd never been in like a really wild or remote setting. I mean, anywhere I'd hunted in Ontario, I think, you know, if you went a couple kilometers, you'd, you'd hit a road for sure. Like a paved, you know, county highway or something like that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was different. It was, I mean, I started out just like truck hunting bears, like drive around, look at bears in a log and cut. And, and, you know, the first bear I shot i thought it was huge and i walked up to it and it was like four foot two and i was okay <laughs> like ground you know, like, yeah yeah just a little <laughs> bit a lot to learn there but um i think you know it was it was a super exciting time for me i was like 23 years old didn't have like you know anything kind of holding me down and it was kind of like a new chapter in my life and i was just like i'll float wherever i'll do whatever yeah. i'll make like you know, nice. sleep on people's, I slept a good friend of mine. Now I crashed in his, uh, basement for, I don't even know, probably like two months. What was supposed mm-hmm. to be like a week for a fishing trip was like, he's like, Oh, you can keep staying. And then I found work and yeah, it's kind of just, it was a fun time, fun yeah. time. So there was a lot of, I think I had a lot of like sparkle in my eyes yeah. being in BC and yeah. I was on the Island at that point And 
you know, as much as the island doesn't have a lot of what northern BC or even the interior and stuff has, it's it's pretty cool and rugged and got its own appeal. Oh, so, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Every place has their own beauty yeah. and ruggedness for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And BC is a pretty special place. So how did you get into guiding? I basically, like, that's why I moved to BC. I, I kind of just okay. hit a point and decided I wanted to become a guide, which looking back on it is kind of like, it's just funny to think about because I'm like, I had no idea what I was actually getting into. Right. You know, it, there wasn't really a plan there. I just was kind of knew that I loved hunting in the outdoors and wanted to give it a whirl. So I spent, I think, probably like eight months cold calling outfitters, just looking up BC outfitters and stuff like that and sending emails and uh, that didn't get me anywhere, which isn't really surprising. You know, you get a kid who's like, hey, I'm from Ontario. I've hunted ducks and turkeys and I've never been on a horse and been in the mountains, but I'd like a job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah th that didn't get me anywhere. And then I actually met uh, Adam Yonke. He just started the Journal of Mountain Hunting yeah. uh, around or was was working into it around that time. I don't know if he actually started it, um, but we clicked and then we talked about hunting together, like trying to get bear hunting together. This is through Instagram back in almost 10 years ago now, I guess. But, um, yeah. And then we ended up just meeting up for beers. Actually, I was in, it was in Vancouver for Christmas and he was living in North van at the time. And, uh, so we grabbed some beers and he was like, Hey dude, kind of what's your deal. It seems like you go hunting three or four days a week. Like basically are you just a trust fund kid? And I was like, nah, I'm doing masonry, but my, boss just started hunting so when it was pissing rain on the island in the fall we'd cut out early and just go deer hunt uh and yeah anyways told him i wanted to get into guiding and it wasn't really hadn't panned out so far and he was like dude you got to come down to the sheep show i've never been i'm told it's awesome i'm going this year it's in like three weeks or something and he's like if you can get yourself down you can crash in my hotel and Went down there, met a bunch of outfitters and ended up meeting the the guy I still work for now, Craig Kesselbach, down there when he was outfitting in the Yukon. And uh, so ended up getting a job and yeah, started wrangling. That's yeah. awesome. Wow. Quite the, that's quite yeah. the journey. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I was just telling Pete, um, it's really awesome to see how far a couple of guys from BC can actually get into the industry. And it's, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Honestly, it's Yankees been the vision on. Mm -hmm. on pretty much all of it i uh you know i've done lots with it as well in the last number of years but uh he's he's always had a pretty pretty good vision on what he wanted to do with it and as you know even with the podcast him starting that i think that was 2015 when he started that and uh at the time i was kind of like you know sure i don't know podcasts are they a thing mm -hmm. so he's he's been good with that stuff for sure yeah and he kind of has a similar story to yours he, he's from ontario originally too yeah, right? he is. He came, yeah. I don't know. He's probably been here 15 plus years now, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's from Ontario as well. Yeah, no, that's uh that's great. Great job. You guys, what was it like your first trip? Like what, when you, like your first stone sheep, tell me a little bit about that. That must've blown you away. Yeah. The first stone sheep hunt I was on was like, that was the time. That was the one that I knew that I was basically fucked. It was like, <laughs> nothing is ever going to be the same in my life which was good. Like I was super excited about it, but I was in the Yukon that was in 2015 and I was wrangling for a guide. I'm now a really good friend of mine. I still work with him, Jared Kristen. Um, and he's the same age as me, but he'd been, he started right after high school 
wrangling and then guiding mm-hmm. sheep and stuff. And so anyways, we were hunting, um, in the Yukon and it was pretty low density, the, the area we were in, uh, and we trailed like, I think we rode like 10 hours to a, basically a spike camp. Mm-hmm. Like we set out a little snow trekker wall tent and there was a meadow for the horses to feed. And, um, I think the first day we went out, maybe they might've gone out one day without me, or I can't remember. Maybe I went out with them the first day, but it's not uncommon, especially depending on how many horses you would have for the Wrangler to not be out every single day. You might be doing stuff in camp or you're just trying to rotate out horses and whatever. But we went out and we spent most of the day hiking. And if my memory is correct, I think the client was a bit of a hard case. Uh, and so he was sort of like, so he's an, he's a guy from Arizona, he was an outfitter and an elk guide and a rancher. And he kind of came in and was basically like, look, you know, I know all the bullshit. Don't try and pull it. I'm about to hike you fuckers into the ground. And uh, <laughs> this is what he said when he stepped off the plane, like verbatim. Jeez. Uh, and we were like, all right. So anyways, the guide basically uh, took him on a, took him on an extended hiking trip. He knew where the Rams were. He spotted these Rams. But instead of taking a more direct route, he wrapped this whole mountain range and side hill the whole time <laughs> just to basically and didn't say a word to the, you know, didn't say a word to the client, but basically gave him the gears on the hiking. But I remember when we came around and at that point, pretty late or later in the day and the client was pretty gassed. And so he said like, hey, do you mind if I just, you know, take Nolan up here and I want to get a look at the Rams and I'll kind of show him how we do this and all this kind of stuff. And the client, he hung back and we crept up and I waited and Jared belly crawled up onto this, into the saddle from the backside of it. And he gets a spotting scope set up and kind of motions to me to come over. And, and I remember crawling up to the spotting scope and putting my eye in it and being like, Holy fuck. And it was a young Ram. Like it was over his nose. It was probably a 36, 37 inch Ram or something like that. Like really beautiful Ram and flared tipped out, uh, just too young, but, yeah, just I remember it sitting in a snow patch up in this in this high basin. We'd come up the back over the top of the mountain, look down above it, and it was these two rams sitting in the snow patch, and the bigger one there was like had its leg up and was scratching his ear, and it was just the most surreal. It was like someone had dropped me on Mars, and I was looking at an alien through a spotting scope. I'd never seen anything that remotely looked like that. Like I don't think I'd even been to a national park and seen like bighorn sheep on the highway. It was such like a, holy shit, this is the coolest thing ever. We're in the middle of nowhere on top of a mountain and looking at this wild, you know, only in your dreams animals. So that was, yeah, that was kind of the first, my memory of stone sheep hunting. Wow. I could see you getting hook, line and sinker with that kind of experience. That's pretty awesome. It was like a main line. And after that, it was, you're just like, okay the sheep stuff what's it all about like you know and yeah i was young and and super excited and like i came here with no at that point like i'd never been on a moose hunt caribou hunt uh i think in bc i'd hunted blacktail shot a blacktail my first season and a black bear and that was Mm -hmm. like the extent of my i shot i think two or three white tail in ontario that was like the extent of my big game experience so it was it was pretty eye-opening and um yeah, very addictive. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. There's something about sheep. I mean, myself, I'm not a, a huge sheep guy. And if you said, I can go, like, you get to go hunt mule deer or sheep, and, like, you'd be mule deer all day. But, I mean, that's just different strokes yeah. for different folks, right? Like, yeah. everyone's got their thing. 
but uh, sheep are pretty neat. I mean, we see sheep pretty, pretty much every day here. I mean, they're not, obviously they're not thin horn. They're the big, you know, they're yeah. uh, California rams, but still they're just such a magnificent animal. It's, it's hard not to get starstruck with them. For sure. I, get, I got sure. them 10 and, minutes down the road. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. That's like, awesome. And it's just to see them, even though, you know, a lot of times they come down into the town and stuff. Right. They're still wild looking. Like the, yeah, big, yeah. the big horns, like, I don't, I don't care if they're into the town. I just picture those guys. Cause you still get the same guys that are, you know, you go down another 20, 30 kilometers down the Valley and you can get another group that are, you know, way up in the mountains or whatever. And they just, they still blow me away. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's the big ones too. It just seems like it's the same with yeah. mule deer. It always seems like they're bigger in town. I don't know what it is, but I don't yeah. know if they, yeah, it seems like they get well, was, you. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, I think like, you know, whether it's sheep or mule deer, caribou, moose, it's, I think anytime you can hunt in a really wild environment, like when you can't see, if you can't see roads and you can't mm-hmm. hear people, like anytime you see any of those animals in that environment, it's just totally different, right? It's, yeah. I think that's the part that hooks you in. Like I, I enjoy hunting sheep and I think as a guide, you kind of tend to enjoy hunting sheep more because your tips are better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love moose hunting just as much. And I mean, I, I've, I'm a very, very green mule deer hunter. Uh, but I I've had a blast doing that. And yeah. anytime you can kind of strap a backpack on and get away from people, I think it's a pretty good time. Yeah. No doubt. So do you, would you say you fell right into like, did you, your very first trip out backpacking, like out in the woods? I know for a lot of people, it's, it's like, most people aren't really comfortable with that. Or is that something like you just fit, fit right in like a glove? Not really. But, uh, when I was, so I spent it like the first year before I started wrangling, I was doing masonry on the Island and the guy that I was working for, I got hooked up through another buddy um, the guy that I was working for was, he was just getting into hunting, uh, but he'd been like lifelong camping, fishing, uh-huh. super outdoorsy, uh, hiking lots, climbing mountains, did like rock climbing and, and some little bit of mountaineering and stuff like that. Um, so he started, I started to go out with him. He had a German short haired pointer, um, and you know, she needed a ton of exercise. And so he'd be out every weekend or whatever climbing a mountain and so i just kind of started doing that with him and he showed me a ton yeah really good buddy of mine mike um but he showed me a ton about we'd you know snowshoe up mountains in the winter and i think there was like nine weekends in a row we picked a a peak to climb on the island and did nine peaks in like nine weeks just wow so I, i learned a lot there and none of those i don't think any of those were overnight trips um but i you know started to learn a lot there and and I'd spent a lot of time outdoors, just not in, uh, not in like extended, like not camping or anything. I didn't even really do any camping growing up for that matter. Um, but I'd spent a bunch of time outdoors, like fly fishing. And then I worked for the university of Western Ontario for a good buddy and my best friend's older brother, who's doing his PhD in, in salmon research. So he hired me as a field tech for all the field stuff. So I'd spent a lot of time being in rivers and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of you know, wet environments and stuff. So that didn't really bother me. Um, but yeah, the backpacking was definitely different. Like I didn't, I, it's so expensive, the shit that we have. And yeah, I yeah. think as you get older and you, you know, acquire more of it, it gets a little bit, you, you tend to forget some of that. Right. Like, but mm-hmm. if you, you know, if you, if any of us grabbed our backpack 
or our full kit that we would use for hunting and then put that onto a receipt like you'd be like holy shit yeah, you know, it's a pretty. There's a pretty big barrier. Yeah, exactly. For a yeah, lot of reasons, our, we don't do that. Yeah, anybody's got wives either. Nothing. Yeah, that's, what's set on here stays on here. There's no receipts being right. handed over. <laughs> yeah, we don't keep yeah. receipts. Keep those. But away. anyway, like, so when I started, I mean, all like I just had, I had a bunch of stuff from Mech that a friend, a friend of my sister's was the worked at uh, MEC. And they, when they would have people return stuff or whatever, they couldn't sell it right. again. So they would oh. go like to donation mm-hmm. to the employees. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I, oh, I got like a sleeping bag and a pack and a tent yeah, yeah. for like $90 or something. And none of it was really great for backpack hunting, but whatever, it worked. Yeah, you made it it's work. start out. Yeah. 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 So that was that... kind of like, it was a slow progression for that, for sure. Yeah. I, well, and that's the biggest thing is I think you just got to start. Like you can't. You can't sit there and say, oh, I need this. I need this. I need, I need to have this backpack. I need this sleep bag. I need this air. I need this. I need that. I need You see yeah. what everybody else has and then say, I can't go unless I have it. You just got to go and just, you'll yeah. figure it out as you go along. Cause a lot of the shit you're going to realize that maybe you, and it all depends what, like, oh, yeah. what, how you hunt, like you hunt different than I hunt. I hunt different than Pete. Like we, and yeah. so you kind of just over time, you learn to acclimate your style of hunting and what works for you. And then everyone's going to be different on it. could, you could even go on the same hunt, but everybody's different. You have different needs and, and, and you'll uh, figure out what gear you're going to need that suits you. Like even if not necessarily even uh, clothing and stuff, but you know, different optics and stuff, you know, what fits you better and what's too heavy for you and what's too, you know, like, yeah, that sort of thing. Like over time, it's just experience. You know, you do talk to people and be like, all right, I'll take a look at this stuff here and, all right. Yeah. I didn't like it because of this reason here, but I, I like what you were saying. So I took those tips and I went to, I don't know, the, this brand over here or whatever it was. And you know, they got this option. Like, yeah. Kept... I'm, I went hunting with a guy two years ago and he asked me, he's like, are you bringing your spotting scope? And I said, yeah, I'm bringing mine. And he said, okay, I'm not going to bring mine. And I was like, Oh, I, that was like blown away. I was like, you're not going to bring yours. Like, but yeah, he just, he was comfortable with just glassing through his binoculars and he just let, this me use the spotting scope and i was like i was like oh that's definitely not something i would do because i definitely sure. like having my own spotter but for him it worked right he was comfortable yeah. with it and it's whatever works he just didn't he was he would rather he didn't want the extra weight so i mean that worked for him and- yeah i i got buddies who'll do that like if there's three of us on a say like some of the winter goat hunts we've done right. where there's one tag right uh and there'll be three guys and they'll be like, okay, well, we only need two spotters. I'm like, Hey, that's fine. But I'm bringing mine because I just don't like not have once you, yeah. once you start using a spotter, you don't ever want to, I find, I don't ever want to not yeah. have it with me. So. Yeah, for sure. And I find I use my spotter, like I'll glass with my spotter more than I, I find myself like with my binoculars, a lot of the, a lot of days. So, I mean, I, myself personally, I need a spot. There's some things I need and I'll sacrifice carrying it in there just to have it. Cause yeah. I don't, I don't like to share. Yeah. I'm, that's how I feel about, I feel like I got, you know, in air quotes scarred as a wrangler. Cause I didn't have a spotter and the guy did find something. He'd be watching it for a bit. Then the client would look in it and then the guide would go back to it and you'd be sitting there like, I've never seen on? a fucking moose and bull moose in the wild <laughs> in my life. Like when they're talking about like, well, is it 55 or 58? And you're just sitting there like, and, you know, but you don't want to be the guy who's like, Hey, let me in, let me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, as soon as I was, you know, saved up enough money or whatever and could buy one myself, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm never not going to have this on me. And you guys can't look in it. 
<laughs> no, well, you know, actually, it, it, I shared around quite a bit, uh, especially I just bought a new spotter um, after this fall. Nice. And so we were doing some mule deer hunting and and it's an 85 mil. I've always had a 65 mil in the past and it was, it's been a big difference. Like I think just the newer glass too on it. And uh, that's what but, I just got to last year. And I got the 85 mil and I'd never had one before. Yeah. And I got it mostly because my wife got a moose draw and around here it can be a once in a lifetime. We oh, yeah. did have it a few years ago. Like I had it, I think four years prior. So we could be done now forever, but I was just like, I wasn't taking a chance and we went and got it and, you know, it was awesome. I, I use it all the time now. It's yeah. Plus, like, plus it's nice to have good optics. I mean, yeah. Makes oh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. My, uh, my dad gave me some marriage advice. He told me I need to stop calling hunts once in a lifetime. Oh. <laughs> He's like, son, you're going on a little too many, you know, once in a lifetime, twice yeah. in two years. I'm like, yeah, yeah okay. Loud and clear. Yeah. That's awesome. What, what do they think about they what do they think about your lifestyle being out here? Are they they have have they been out here? Yeah, they're actually out here right now for oh cool. Uh I want to say like a month and a half. Oh wow. Um yeah, my sister lives uh pretty close to me and, and she just had a kid like a year and a half ago. So that's the first mm-hmm. grandchild. So they've been spending a bunch of time out west, which is great because you know we see them now more yeah. I'd, I'd usually go back once or twice a year but yeah nice to have them out here for a while they they think it's great like they're yeah. super supportive they kind of always have been they're like look you know if you've doesn't matter what you're into if you've got goals and you're kind of if you're pushing towards something and you're happy we're happy for you so yeah that's, that's awesome man yeah so are you yeah, doing are you good did you do uh are you going on a um goat hunt this year this winter no no, I'm not. I'm actually feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's yeah, not easy. Yeah, guys... and they're they're very. It's been really rewarding. It's been uh, a lot of fun memories in there too. But um, yeah, it's and I mean this this year's a bad year for avalanches, for yeah. for all that kind of stuff. Really unstable snowpack and things haven't been too great that way. But it's also just like it it can be kind of a misery fest depending on the weather. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, that's usually the hardest part about it. Like finding goats isn't really that hard at that time of year. I've, we've actually found it to be very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're just kind of always like, there's always something that's that's a little bit, you know, Western or you're dealing with the weather and you're always damp and kind of cold and uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that makes uh, makes for a tough hunt. But I mean... You seem like the kind of guy who doesn't mind a little bit of suffering. So probably right at home. Yeah. You know, at times (laughs) it just, it's, I think the big, the draw for those for me, isn't so much, isn't, I'm not really the kind of like, Hey, I feel like I need to test myself to see if I can do it. Like, don't get me wrong. I think anyone would relate to like, if you have a really hard pack out or something and at the end of it, like you feel like you're like, Oh shit. Like, you know, I can do that. That's, that feels good. Um, but that's never really been the strong motivator for me. I think it's just such a unique environment. Mm-hmm. I love the winter. I grew up on skis. I still do a fair bit of ski touring. Um, and and to see animals thriving in that, like in the steep coastal. I mean, you know what that country is mm-hmm. like very yeah. well, both of you. So to see animals thriving in that in the wintertime, that in itself, I think, is pretty cool, pretty special. Uh, and then also just with guiding and stuff, it doesn't, there isn't a huge 
bandwidth for me to do a lot of kind of more adventure style hunts, mm-hmm. I guess. So, you know, I get out basically the end of stone sheep season and then you've been gone for 90 days. So you kind of just want to spend time at home and then yeah. see family and like spend time with my wife and stuff. So then, you know, I usually get out a bit in November for some deer hunting, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of the one that's, that's has been in the past, the one kind of bigger, bigger backpack style hunt for me with my schedule so that's that's always been kind of a motivator and then once you do it and you know you can do it you're kind of like all right well Mm -hmm. you know i've had some buddies who've wanted to do it and that's been fun too i enjoy that yeah no doubt and and you kind of put it into perspective there and that's one thing i never thought about was that you kind of you're out hunting but you're not hunting like you're Mm -hmm. out guiding but you're not you're not you don't get the opportunity you're not on the trigger i mean that's dream job, right? You get to spend, you get paid to be out in the outdoors, but it's still, it's, it's gotta be at some point, it's gotta be where it's, it, it's not as rewarding as going out for yourself hunting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there's different. I I think like every hunt kind Just of look at is it differently. Different. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I think every hunt's a bit different and you have different, I don't know, for me, like if I, if I had a mule deer hunt and I was just going like for example last year went mule deer hunting with some buddies for a week mm-hmm. i might approach that totally different than if i was you know if i drew a really good elk tag or a, a late season goat tag something i wanted to take more seriously or yeah. i don't know i find it's everything feels a bit different but yeah. i just you, honestly love hunting yeah that, that's awesome yeah yeah i mean what's not to love about it so do you put in like how, how do you work your draws do you put in for draws every year or do you just not bother or how, like i know you had I remember I watched the film that you guys did and you were hunting Roosevelt elk. Yeah. So like, tell me about that. How did you plan that with your guiding? Something that just worked one, out with your boss? No, I actually don't. I don't think I've ever put in for a draw that I, that wasn't outside of my guiding season. You know, there's been, oh, I, I think you. maybe when I was younger, there would have been some that I'd consider, but at that point I was like, well, I don't really feel like I've built enough of a reputation for myself to be asking for a hunt off. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, I really just wanted to be there and be working hard and, and be seen as reliable. And, yeah, yeah. and now, now there just isn't as much of a draw, you know, I think, yeah. I think I, I, it's not like I've been in the industry for 20 or 30 years or anything like that. Um, but I think there's a lot more money in guiding now than there ever was in the past. Like certainly when I've talked to guys who guided sheep and in the mountains and stuff in the early two thousands, like it's, it's a lot, it is a lot more lucrative now. And so for me, it's always that question of like, okay, well, you know, for me to take a hunt off to hunt for myself, like it's, it's a big chunk of change you're leaving on the table. So. Yeah, that's kind of that. But I always plan my stuff around. I honestly, I usually put in for stuff with really low odds. Mm -hmm. That's usually what I look for is low odds. uh, And does it work with my schedule? And low odds is usually kind of shitty access. But I've found like, especially and I don't know, maybe I'm not on to anything here. But if there's low odds and a high tag number, and the access sucks, the hunting's probably really good. That's been my theory. And it's worked so far. So yeah, I'd say it's probably yeah, probably a good way to look at it, really. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cause, and I mean, I don't have all the time of, I don't have all the schedule to say like, Oh, you know, for example, with my elk hunt, it's like there's Roosevelt elk hunt. You can do where it's, where it's logging road access, even some areas on the Island that I know pretty well. And I've seen lots of bulls in and kind of know where they'd be that time of year, roughly. And all that kind of stuff. And I used to put in those for years. And then one day I was like, Hey, what am I, you know, I know so many guys on the older guys on the Island I've talked to that are put in for 30 years or 35 years and never drawn. And so I kind of was like, you know what, I'll just put in for areas with low odds. And if it costs me, you know, three grand to charter a boat, then yeah. Right. At least I get that experience once in my life. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah. I, I, it, how do you do your, like your planning for that? You, you're obviously, if you're like, you're busy throughout that whole season, you don't have a lot of time for like scouting and stuff like that. No, like, didn't do any scouting. Yeah. Like for your elk hunting, because that, yeah. that was a nice bull you shot. Yeah. So, I mean, so much luck. I've, I'm being completely honest. And I know like, well, I, I mean, enough that, time hunting to know that yeah. there's always an element of luck. And the more mm-hmm. time you spend in the field, especially the more time you're like intentionally in the field, yeah glassing smart and making the right moves you know your luck increases but in this case there was a lot of luck i just put in for an area looked at it on fat maps uh i called the local biologist got a bunch of information from him and then uh one of my buddies who was on the hunt with knew the guide who hunted in there and told him we were going into that area and he basically was like hey look we you know the outfitter in there rotates he's got a huge area uh, right. He kind of rotates where he takes bulls. So he might take, you know, three bulls in five years out of, out of a drainage and then oh, move on you. to somewhere else or even one bull and then leave it for three years or something yeah. like that. Well, that's a good way um, to work it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, there's great genetics, there's great herds. There's just no reason to hammer one. Um, in his case, he's got boat access and, and tons of areas he can go into, but so I kind of had all that information. And then the guide actually told us like, Hey, here's, I've got a trail camera in there. You guys may as well go check it. And then you can at least see if there's anything good in the area, get an idea of what caliber of bulls you're looking at. Cause we had, I'd never hunted. That's the only elk hunt I've done. I, I went in the next year with a buddy who drew the tag, but that's my experience on elk. So, um, honestly just got really lucky with where they were. Like yeah. I've have a pretty good idea of how to pick apart terrain at this point, like, you know, you spend 90 days a year yeah, or whatever yeah. guiding or, or more in the field and you start to see sort of similar patterns and, and how you should, how you should at least move through an area. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some skill involved in that, but honestly, it was like, it just happened that we found they were, they were down low and we got lucky and, and it was a good bull. Yeah. It was a big bull. Yeah. 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 That was a. Did it make the book? It did, didn't it? It was like it yeah, was high up there yeah. too. I, I actually just just entered it um into the wildlife records of BC. Right. Like yeah. Just I've seen that maybe last month or something. So it was yeah. I think I don't remember. I think the guy said it was like number five in BC wow. or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That and being said, like there's a there I have seen photos of much bigger bulls that never get entered. Like that's just Mm-hmm. It's a list of guys who enter, and we all know there's lots of dudes out there in BC, folks out there killing big shit, and not putting it in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, so what you guys did? You guys check the trail camera? Yeah, yeah. Was that was that bull that you shot on the trail camera? This one wasn't on the trail camera. No. Oh yeah. I actually missed a bigger bull on the second day of the hunt. Um. Well, was that the one that going across the river there? 
yeah, and I'll, I'll put it, point. I'll put a link in. So everybody knows what we're talking about for to your guys' yeah. video. Um, for yeah, the- that was the one going across the river. I missed that, that one. Was bigger, I, have right? a, oh. I have trail camera photos of it. Yes, it was. <laughs> Unfortunately, it still right. haunts me. Oh, okay, because I was going to yeah. say, I, I, I was actually going to bring that up, and I was going to say, well, it's kind of lucky that you missed the first one, because I, I I honestly thought that that one was a little smaller than, than the one you shot. Not that it not that it really matters. No, I, mean, we didn't, shoot I don't think we ever got footage of the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 For some reason. Yeah, you didn't. You just, uh, it was a clean miss, but for some reason, I just thought it was, uh, that I, I think I only thought that because that bull that you shot was so big, it just, like, yeah, it's hard to think of a bigger one type of thing so yeah well i mean the like so this one gross 398 mm-hmm. and i think it or netted 380, yeah. Yeah, yeah 384 and change uh i don't know how big the one i missed was it was bigger though like this one's a, an eight by nine that one was an 11 by 11 Holy the bull they'd been after we'd heard about it they'd been after for a number of years and just yeah i just my mind shit the bed on that yeah, but you know that's if we didn't have that i think you know that's it's that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that compels you to be like shit yeah. i could look for you know those kinds of things still exist and yeah yeah, yeah no doubt yeah i haven't had i never drew uh i haven't been able to draw a roosevelt tag so for some reason i don't have very good luck with uh with the lah system which is probably why i'm always bitching about it how it's set up (laughs) yeah one of those guys (laughs) yeah i you know i don't think there's too many people in in bc that don't complain about it i think there's there's some guys i don't know what the perfect system is but yeah we had actually we talked about that a couple shows ago just like if if bc was to trans transition into like a point system or a pool system the kind of like what the details of that would be and how we'd go about doing it but oh interesting um, yeah yeah i mean it's, it's always the guys who don't get who don't ever get draws that bitch about him like myself because i know like my cousin he seems to have a horseshoe up his ass and he gets he gets draws all the time same draws i put in for him but he doesn't complain about it he loves it yeah no so. no doubt no doubt <laughs> i can't complain either we've had two moose draws in five years yeah the see, once in I, a lifetime one right the once, yeah, the once in a lifetime yeah the i know one he got put in for for 20 some years and never got it and we, my wife and I, we split up like in our right. groups. So you double your chances because the same family's going out. Yeah. So we just split everybody up. And yeah, I got it one time and she got it the next. And nice. Well, a couple of years later, but yeah. yeah. We don't want to talk about that one anymore. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I always, you know, the one thing I'd love to see changed is uh, the ability to turn in tags and do a second drawing, even if we didn't change and it was still random because. Mm-hmm. The issue with the, I think one of the issues with a random draw is that if you like, let's say you put in for three or four big tags. Like I know a guy who drew a, I think he drew bison, uh, callies and, and a late season goat tag in the same year. Oof. And you're just kind of wow. like, fuck. It's almost <laughs> for most, for the average person, it's almost impossible to yeah, do all yeah. of those. Oh yeah. Like, especially if you're going to give them an honest amount of time, like even, you know, eight days or 10 days yeah. like most people can't swing that so i would love to see it where you could have those tags turned in and redrawn and then who yeah. knows maybe there'd still be people who didn't draw or whatever i don't know but yeah, yeah you get draw no that that makes sense but you're right and that's the thing with the draw system is that you always put in for all these tags because you never know like you're going to yeah. put in for all these different tags just because you never you never know if, if it worked off a different system you'd have a bit of an idea but um yeah yeah 
Yeah, for sure. I know a guy, he's got like the Okanagan, he got the Okanagan sheep draw here three times. Oh, no shit. Yeah, he's from Cranbrook. Got three times. Oh. He got it the very first time he put in for it. He didn't even go. I was like, oh, you. Yeah. yeah. And then the second time they came out and he said he hunted by boat. And I don't even know what that means in Okanagan Lake. So I'm, I asked him, like, so what you're like, you're in an inner tube behind a boat? I don't know. Like, you're not, what do you mean you're, it's Okanagan Lake. You're not hunting from a boat. You're not, you can't be down there with a rifle where there's guys yeah. skiing by you in a fucking boat. Like, what do you mean you hunted from a boat? So I don't know what that means. And then the third time, he said he said he went, but he said it was too hard to get in there. And it is. It's from where that fire, like some of it's pretty gnarly in that with all the all that old okay. blown down gnarly burn burn, burn shit. So Lovely. and he's an older guy, but still three times is pretty impressive. But like my cousin, like that moose draw I got last year. I was putting in that for that draw for 10 years. I've gotten it once. He's been putting it for seven. He's got it twice. So yeah. 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 But what I don't do you know. do? I, like I, I haven't said, figured out the right amount of money to slide into the, you know, now you can't mail them in anymore. But that was always my joke with my buddy who draw stuff. I'm like, so yeah. how much money do I got to slide in for me to yeah. get my. Yeah. yeah. How many you know? brown ones do I got to put in for that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 No doubt. Cool. Well, man. It just shows uh, too, though, with the few, the few chances that you get, you better put 110% effort into that hunt. Cause you may never get yeah. it again. Mm-hmm. Like if you've waited that long, who the hell knows when you're going to get it next? Yeah. yeah well, that's it's it. Like tough I... to, sorry, carry on. No, no. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, like the way I'm going with my moose draw, yeah, I'll be 54, but by the time I get another one. So yeah, you never know. Ah, that's still young these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. I so, was just going to say it's tough sometimes. Like, you know, with those draws and it's, I don't know. I find it's easy sometimes to be like, how could someone not do this? Right. Like they draw the tat doll sheep and, and don't go or something, but you know, it's also, you got to remind, remind yourself, not everyone's like full gung ho obsessed with to yeah. the same degree, but yeah. I certainly do try. And, you know, if I, if I draw a good tag, like I always kind of think of it like, well, what would this hunt cost if I bought it as an outfitted hunt? Like if I was a non-resident, you know, a stone sheep tag now, they're oh. uh, a 69.5 US. So, wow. It's, yeah, it's, I always kind of have that perspective. It's like, if I'm drawing a hunt, you know, the a Roosevelt elk hunt, like that's a $40,000 hunt. So yeah, I want to, yeah. you know, try and treat that, treat that like I would if I was guiding and, and really take it seriously and try and make the most of it. Yeah, no doubt. You didn't. They hunting elk. It didn't give you the uh, didn't give you the itch to keep going after them. I don't really have a time. Like we have elk in our in our uh, in concession where I guide, mm-hmm. um, but not the country that I guide in. So right. I've never guided them. And um, you know we've got guys in there who are some of the guides are pretty big elk fanatics. Actually, it oh, seems okay. like everybody who guides elk says that's their favorite. Like yeah. you know we got a guy who's guided sheep for thirty two or three years, and he's like, dude, if I could just guide elk, like year round no black bear no moose no sheep i'd do that yeah 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 i think yeah it all depends like you said when when and where you're hunting because if you're hunting elk in the rut at the end of september yeah it's uh it's fun yeah yeah it's pretty hard to not get addicted to it but so how long do you think you're like how long do you see yourself doing what you're doing is this a lifetime gig yeah i mean 
to to whatever capacity it is like i think in the end i'd like to the, the end goal is to be an outfitter mm-hmm. uh i just think you kind of have to to make it sustainable right like you know as far as having a family life and and even to make more money and and be more comfortable and all that kind of stuff a lot of risk that goes along with it as well obviously but that's any business that you that you yeah, start oh yeah, so absolutely man i think that's the end goal i mean there's certainly nothing there's nothing else that I would that I would that I would want to do. So right, and and like just for Stone Chief, that's your that's your thing. Or would you look at something else that's maybe not in the realm of of sheep and like Stone Sheep and maybe something? I think you mean as far as like buying an outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean honestly, if the right opportunity came up, I'd be interested in just about anything and, and right. sheep, the way that the prices of sheep hunts have gone and had gone and outfits, like it's, you're pretty much not going to step into that as your first outfit. Yeah. Like it's just not, not feasible, but, um, but that's also kind of where the money is. Like if you want to, if you want to make as good of a living as possible in it, I think that's the way you have to go. Um, and I don't mean that in a way of being like, oh, so you can have like a lavish house and a Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah. But if you bought like, say, a $300,000 outfit in BC uh, that had like a couple goat tags and maybe some mule deer and elk tag, something like that, honestly, you're going to make more money guiding, like doing a season up north than you would make mm-hmm. in a year for profit on a place like that. So a lot of those places, you're, you know, you're going to have to have a, a second job for sure, pretty full time. And I think it's just hard. Yeah, really. Yeah. Like, I think you you you'd have a hard time doing that full time. So, yeah, and I guess too, if you're just getting into it with something like you're talking about, you, I mean, to do something like that, like three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars or whatever it's going for, that's a big chunk of change, and it's not easy to <laughs> save that much money up. So you're probably going to have to take out a loan or some sort of financing to get that, and to yeah, to maintain those payments and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's just like for mortgage, sure. basically. Um, I guess. Yeah, I guess if it all depends on how much you love it. And I guess the guys that are still doing it uh, or that are doing it now in areas like that, they do it just because they love it. Yeah, I I mean, I think, yeah, everyone guiding as much as, yeah. like I said earlier, you know, the money's a lot better now than it, than it ever was. But uh, certainly when you look at your hourly rate, it's not very good. Yeah, <laughs> you know when yeah. you, when you woke up at five and your day ends at, you know, seven or 9 a.m. the next day, you're like, huh. Maybe this isn't so good. Just don't think about the hour. Don't, yeah, don't try not to think about it that way. Yeah. Oh, so do you think definitely are... career guys, guys that are into it or people that are yeah. into it, they do it because they love it. Has it gotten harder since as the years go by, like even from when you first got into it, in terms of like finding animals, locating animals, and just the amount of animals on the landscape in terms of like sheep? No, no. I don't think so. I haven't. I mean, I don't think I have a broad enough um, – time period to really look at like certainly when i talk to one of the guides i work with who's been doing it since 92 i think uh he he says there's a difference like he's punted in the same two areas in that whole 30 whatever years 31 years um so yeah he like he said he's noticed that he's he's seen a decline in sheep populations and i mean that's like that's on trend with what our biologists would say as well yeah yeah. we just don't have the as as many um but in the last you know nine eight nine years that i've been doing it i haven't noticed anything different you get seasonal swings for sure Mm -hmm. um you know and then it depends on what country you're hunting to like within our whole concession we have 
some pockets that have higher sheep numbers and some pockets that always have lower sheep numbers. So right. it's, you know, year to year, it depends on that too. And sometimes you might see a few more Rams or a few less and, and weather is such a huge part of that too. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So do you guys do some sort of like, in terms of like, you talked about how the sheep are in some areas and some years, some years in other areas, is there like, do they keep records of like, I imagine that, the owner must keep records of like where the sh- where historically where sheep have been every year and kind of the, are you able to pattern them like that or is it kind of just if they're here one yeah. year they're here if they're not then move on to the it's, next ridge yeah it's a little bit of both um you know they'll they'll certainly spread out there's there's i've heard it said before you know people would say like if you've you've, you've killed rams here before like there's going to be rams there again it's right. it's ram terrain whether they're actually there if you just show up for one day whether they're there on that chunk of the mountain that you can see or that part that you know end of the range or even on that range maybe not but they'll be you know yeah. generally if it's a sheep mountain it'll stay a sheep mountain they don't like to move a whole ton um unless there's some you know environmental uh, event or they get pushed out by predators or, or some kind of pressure has changed mm-hmm. that um yeah, I, I you know snow snowpack can certainly change stuff. I hunt in areas that I know that they used to kill rams in, you know, thirty or forty years ago, and I've never seen one. So, oh, is that right? Yeah, and yeah. I, I kind of feel like that's, you know, part of that could just be the animal itself, just migrating and picking a different route or For doing sure. whatever. Or I mean, like you said, it could be pretty, it could be predators, could be wolves have gone in there and pushed them out. Because I know with mule deer, you, you find, I mean, if mule deer in an area. You find mule deer in an area; they're in there for a reason. I mean, mule deer are yeah. pretty particular, like alpine mule deer are anyway. Of what kind of terrain they like, what you know, they like steep stuff. They don't, I mean, obviously not goat terrain, but they don't like the flat hills. They like it where they could be at an advantage and get up, you know, into those high areas and look down into. And they like a certain amount of like certain feed, and they like the shadows. And they, there are certain things that mule deer love. And right. if if they're not pushed out of there, they'll always you'll, you'll always find a mule deer yeah. in there, right? Um, yeah. so I, th- I think that's kind of, it's probably, well, I guess that's his concession, concession with all animals is that, you know, if there's something there that they like, they're going to come back unless they're, unless they're forced out of there. Yeah. For, and I think, you know, any prey species even more so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For and sure. winters too. Yeah. Yeah. Win- winters are tough. I know I'm I've like, I've never done early season mule deer, but it sounds very cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I can't miss is. September 1st for mule deer. I don't, I do it every year. I've, I haven't been able to connect with one in velvet yet, but and that's one. You thing have I'll... antler restriction too, though, don't you, Kevin, where you are? No. You don't? You have no. any, any buck? Yeah. For archery. Oh, any buck. okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. fuck archery. Yeah. yeah. Cause see, that's much. Yeah. That's where, yeah, we've got that too. Yeah. For some reason, I thought you had antler restriction there for your archery season still. No, but having that said, I mean, I've, I'm kind of have a class of mule deer that I go after. So, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've obviously had opportunities to shoot, like, I'm not going to just shoot a two by two cause he's in velvet. So, yeah. um, yeah. So kind of put that on. How myself. have you found that progression changed for you over time? So I've never really, you know, with, with deer, I've never got to that stage where I'm like selectively hunting deer, I hunt deer sometimes for like a week a year. And, you know, 
if I'm hunting bucks, I'll shoot a buck and and throw it in the freezer. And that's kind of, that's how deer has always been for me, but I'm always interested to hear from, from guys who, you know, can be like, Hey, you know what? I'm taking a bow. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to be selective. How did that change for you? Like, was there a point in time where you just said, Hey, you know, this year is going to be the year and I'm, I've set a benchmark and. Well, with mule deer, like, I don't know what it was about mule deer, but so when I moved down, like growing up, up North, we didn't have mule deer. We had blacktail. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we had black bears, we had moose and my dad, like I grew up with my dad and he was a moose hunter. Right. So that's what, that's what we did from the time I was like eight or nine years old. We just, five of them went out, they went and shot their moose. And, you know, back in the day, they, they'd all tag out within a day or two and then sit around the campfire and drink beer for the next four days. Yeah. But when I came down here, when I moved down here, um, I don't know. I just, I, I remember the first time I started seeing mule deer on the landscape and I just fell completely in love with them. I just, I just kind of just got myself devoted into just hunting mule deer. And it, it actually, it, it took me a while to get to figure out mule deer to start like to be able to connect with them, figure out what, what they're doing at specific times of the day. And like, mm. like I basically I screwed up a lot. Like I had a lot of misses and I didn't connect lots for years. And then I, then some things just started to click. Mule deer are funny. Like, like I said, they're always going to be in areas where like if you find an area that holds good mule deer, there's a reason that that mule deer is in there. And most of it's, it has to do with terrain, topography, food. Now, if you can get, so you just apply those every year. And that's what I was doing is that, so say one year I shot a four by four and that was my biggest deer. I remember the first time I shot a four by four too. And I was like, wow, that's a big deer. And I was gassed with it. I was just pumped. And then do the exact same thing, go into that exact same area. And I see a four by four. I just was like, no, I, I, I have a good feeling that there's going to be bigger deer in here because these deer are in here. Why wouldn't there be a bigger deer in here? Right. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just progressed that way. And I kind of just, all of a sudden my, my hunting season would start in June and then I'd be out bear hunting. I'd be out bear hunting, but I actually wasn't bear hunting. I was out looking to see what the mule deer were doing, right. To see where, how they were migrating. And, and it kind of, it was just, it was kind of just more of an infatuation than anything that kind of, yeah. that kind of just. I just kind of evolved, but like, it's only mule deer. It's like that for, so like an elk, like I, I remember two years ago, I passed on a, on a five by six elk. I was bow hunting and I had him at 50 yards broadside, could have shot him. And I, two days before that, I seen a bigger elk. So I was waiting for that one. And I ended up punching an elk tag. And like, I I would never do that again with an elk. I'd be like, no way, but it's just, it's just something with mule deer. And to be honest is I would rather not shoot a mule deer and be able to hunt them still, then shoot a smaller class mule deer and then have no reason to pursue yeah. them anymore. It's just like, I, I just had, they're just, that's just my jam. And like, I just love interacting with mule deer. I love watching them. And I spend a lot of time, you know, just glassing and watching them and having, I'll have deer that are good deer and I'll just watch them and I'll just watch them just to see what they do, just to see what they do all day. And like, I'll watch them in the morning and I'll, they'll get out of their first bed and they'll move up into their second bed and they'll lay there all day. And I'll just sit there and watch, watch them all day, wait for them, for that sun to, to move a bit where they get comfortable enough to get up. And then they move to their feeding area and they all do the same thing. It's funny. The does do the same thing. The bucks do the exact same thing, Mm. but yeah, that's, that's just kind of my jam. And it kind of, like I said, it kind of turned, it kind of is always, it, it still is. I mean, it's just an infatuation with just everything that mule deer do. And then, it kind of just progressed into that. Whereas like, I just have this, I have this class of mule deer in my head that I like. And if I, if I shoot it, I shoot it. If I don't, then I don't. So nice for me. How do you, how did you find that 
Pete, like, where are you at with your hunting there? I know you said you started a bit later and was that something kind of right off the hop? You just wanted to cut tags or do you have more patience? Uh, yes, yes and no. Last year is the first year I've actually eaten tag soup. I've always gotten something okay. every year. I just focused last year, I focused so much on my wife's moose. Right. Um, and we got her done. But uh, yeah, I'm at that point where I, I'm last year I went strictly strictly bow. So my okay my range is smaller. Like Kevin's Kevin's mule deer will be bigger than what I would shoot. But even whitetail for me, when it comes down to it, I look at it and I'm looking at body size too. I don't care if it's got this giant rack on it, if it's got this little itty bitty tiny body and I gotta pack that thing out two, three kilometers, I'm not shooting it. Because right. I look at, I can't eat the antler. So, what difference yeah. is it to me? It's legal, great. After that, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna get about this much body meat off it. Yeah, that's worth me packing out. I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. If I can yeah. pack that thing out in one trip, chances are I'm probably not going to shoot it. Right. Um, I had a, I had a really good opportunity on a beautiful, beautiful mule deer this year. It was all clipped in, arrow knocked. Uh, but this mule deer happened to be sitting on a property line. Okay. And he went left and not right. And if he was right, he would be in my freezer right now. And he'd be looking at his antlers up on the wall. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess he didn't like what I had planned for. <laughs> and that's, I've yeah, been agonizingly enough. close every year since I've started archery shooting or archery hunting, sorry, every year, but one. And I think I've been at it for about seven years now. And every year okay. I have a like, crazy close experience but it's alder trees in the way it walks left where i can't shoot it instead of right where i can shoot it um yeah. something has always i've been clipped in i've been full draw it just hasn't quite come together but learning to bow hunt has brought me to a whole new level of hunting like if i had my rifle i could see that getting in closer now what i have to pay attention to now and my surroundings um, has, has brought me to a whole new skill level, irregardless on whether I've killed anything with my bow or not. I could go with my rifle. Yeah, it'd yeah. be nothing. But now, because, you know, I don't, I don't mind shooting up to 300 yards, 350. It doesn't even, I don't even flinch at that. Yeah. But for me, it's a lot of the areas that I hunt, unless I'm in a wide open cup block or something, I'm, most of my shots are 30 yards and under because it's tight, it's thick. Yeah, there's nothing you yeah. can you know. There's and some thirty yards. Thirty yards is tough because you're in tight. Yeah, and there again, oh, that's yeah. when you learn. You you start becoming a little more wary of where you're at because at thirty yards, you might not be able to see that deer behind that bush, but it just heard that twig snap under your foot, or yeah. you know the the branch brush against your arm. Yeah, or I mean oh. anything. You get close enough. I mean they hear. I mean they hear anything. They hear your arrow sliding back on your rest when you're that yeah. close and so. you know that i i am getting mule deer have have me fixated as well but that's only been since the last two years because our populations plummeted where we are here right, we used okay. to have amazing mule deer hunting here but for various reasons that just is shot down and it's only in the last couple of years that we're starting to see legal bucks again and we're starting to see nice mm. ones so okay it's in and seeing the them coming back and it's not the antler size it's actually just seeing the damn bucks back 
and yeah, seeing I the mean, populations yeah. grow. And it's like, okay, now I can actually go out and I can actually find these things because they're starting to show up again. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I was just going to say antler size is just a reflection of the yeah. quality of habitat and genetics, of course. Mm-hmm. But so that's good to see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with mule deer, obviously, everybody sees the big bucks that roll through town that just never leave. Yeah. You no, know, I got one that lives in my park. And you could almost, I could almost feed that thing carrots from my garden, but that's, he's pushing 200. The thing's at 10 o'clock. Yeah. He's huge. That's wild, eh? Yeah. And he's just friendly as hell. My dog's up there. I got an English Mastiff. He's, my dog's sitting at the back, not barking. The deer's just sitting there a foot away from him, looking at him, like, <laughs> just like. Town bucks, man. I swear yeah. they were put on earth just to mess with us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It <laughs> is. And it's frustrating as all hell. And then, I mean, that's. That's the thing about mule deer. I mean, when you find whitetail, if you find an area that has whitetail, there's going to be a lot of whitetail in it. But you can find yeah. an area of mule deer that should have mule deer in it, and there might be a mule deer in it, but there's just one mule deer in it, and that's it. Right. I mean, it's got everything he likes. There's there's a reason he's there, and there'll be more there. They're just not there right now. Yeah. I mean, you could sit there for two weeks until you see another one. But yeah. they're going to be there. Yeah, I just I don't have that much experience with mule deer. It's frustrating yeah, they're a neat critter i mean yeah <laughs> but like i said the, the best from what in my experience the best like if you're going to be real serious about mule deer hunting you got to start hunting mule deer in like june july um as soon as they start falling that green wave you kind of just gotta you gotta mm-hmm. stick with them get figure out where they're going and once you kind of they're like anything though once you, i mean once you figure out what area they like and what they're looking for then you just look for those areas and you're going to see them. Um, like, like I said, yeah. though, the only shitty thing is there's just not a lot of them. So it's not like right. they don't, you know, they don't, they don't bunch up like the white tails do, where it's like you, you can be sitting in a tree stand or in a blind and you can see four white tail bucks a day. Uh, it's a little right. different with mule deer, unless you're in town, of course. Yeah. Sitting there of in course. your backyard. Yeah. yeah. Watching your backyard. And you got 40 in your backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, honestly, beginning in November, if I haven't found any mule deer bucks previously, they'd be like, oh, okay, this guy's around this area. I'll kind of keep an eye. I'm yeah. looking for, for, for small herds of does. If I can see twos, threes, fours, yep. like, okay, you girls are not going anywhere. You, you know, like it's that late. This is where you're setting up. This is your area. Yeah. And I'll, I'll I won't hunt the does, but I'll hunt the does because yep. the does are going to bring the, the, the boys to the party. Right. And it's yeah. like, if I can pattern them out, the, the bucks are going to, they're going to be clueless. They're going to be watching their females. And then as long as you don't shoot them off, you know, you're going to have an opportunity potentially. Yeah. So that's, that's how I'm starting to learn the new terrain I'm in is I'm looking for those, those does first, you know, if a buck mm-hmm. comes out great, but it's like, okay, even if I find that doe, will be like, there's going to be something with you eventually here in the next week or two. Like there, there has to be. I find the mule deer easiest to hunt early on, like when they come down on they come down on the alpine into like okay. second living, and they're just you know they're they're pushed down a little lower. I find then it's easiest to locate them myself. That's when I okay. prefer to hunt them in early September. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, like you you'll see the bucks running around with the does come, you know, first week in November, and I even find too like you'll see more buck like you'll see more bucks during the day when the does just kick into estrus. So like when the scent just goes out, you're going to see, cause what those bucks are doing is they're, they're running around, moving more, trying to locate those. So you're going to see them more. Once they kind of get 
shacked up with a doe or two, they kind of hunker down more. They kind of grab their does and they kind of just like keeps them themselves. They're not moving around as much. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're fighting off the smaller, the smaller bucks, but you don't see as much as you do like right before the rut. I find that is yeah. when you're going to get, you get the most activity and you're going to see the most like good quality size bucks. But in terms of hunting them, I find myself is like early September is for myself is like the best time to hunt, to hunt mule deer. Huh. Yeah, I never had the uh the pleasure of doing that. I'm always pretty busy. Yeah, it's tough. Year, yeah, it's definitely tough for you in, in that time of that time Not of that year. I'm complaining. No, no, yeah, switching gears into moose and stuff. And yeah, yeah. It's and that's the thing. I have a hard time giving up the I'm a fanatic with the elk. So right. elk is the beginning of the year or beginning of September all the way through to October 20th. So it's hard for me to skip yeah. off elk to go to mule deer even For though sure. I, I love them yeah, but it's yeah. like if you got to pick your one it's like well and, that, and that, everybody's and see, got their thing and see that's yeah. the thing from moving up living up north hunting moose and like like goats like everybody i knew up there they're big goat hunters right like you yeah. had a cabin on Porcher island like you go you lane like you can take a stiff skiff down gravel and you throw rocks at them where you used to be able to anyway um down here it's like you you just like it's mule deer and elk and it's just like man it's like if i go up if like when do you plan a hunt to go up looking for sheep because if you go up you're going to miss the prime time to hunt mule deer and elk do you know what i mean yeah. it's like oh yeah it's like, yeah it's tough you kind of got to like tough. sacrifice sacrifice one for the other and if you're going to go up you got to go up for two weeks yeah, right? you got to oh, yeah. go for 10 days and then plus, plus, then you have your like it's a full day drive up there full day drive back so it's basically yeah. yeah it's half a month so you'd have to give up half of september so you're either giving up early archery for me it's either i'm giving up early like i'm giving up my prime meal deer time or i'm giving up elk time so it's tough it's it tough, all man life yeah. is hard when you got too many options <laughs> yeah and that just goes like and it's funny because we have american guests on i know you do too and yeah i mean they all say the same thing of how blessed we are and you kind of take it for granted when you're sitting there trying to when you're when you're on a, looking on a calendar trying to fit as many animals you could hunt in a, <laughs> in one you know in a three-month period and they're like fuck man i wish i could even just buy one of those tags over the counter never mind all of them yeah so yeah no we're very fortunate here that's for sure yeah no doubt but on that note i think uh i think we'll cut her off and kept you long enough but thanks again for coming yeah. on the show buddy it's, it's uh, I've, I've been meaning to get you on you know uh it, it's funny with these podcasts like i i remember when i first started i had a, like a list of all the people i wanted to get on and then all of a sudden you you get you start going through the list and somebody can't make it but then you start talking to another guy and be like oh yeah i'll come on your show oh, yeah. and then all of a sudden it just like yeah it's kind of weird yeah. and then all of a sudden you're over 100 episodes and you're like oh man i got i've been wanting to get you on for a while so thanks for coming out and it's tough with your schedule too and I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. It's been a blast. It's great to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah right on. No, you got anything, you. Pete? No, thanks for coming on. Definitely going to be checking out some of your stuff there and uh, hitting up those links. Love yeah. watching that yeah. stuff. Beyond the pod or beyond the kill podcast, like I said, it's uh, yeah. it's one of the we'll best ones out there, and it's really awesome to see what you guys have done. And I'll put links to all your guys' stuff up in your videos ah, too. Appreciate it. Yeah. You got uh, your your elk hunt and your guys's goat hunt. Is an epic yeah. one too when you shot your goat there. That was there an adventure and, for sure. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, guys. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Right on. See ya.
Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into the Focus Hunting Podcast, coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoors production. Pete and I wanted to thank all you guys, the listeners, for tuning into the over past 100 episodes of the show. This journey has been a lot of fun for both Pete and I, and we couldn't do it without your guys' support, so we really value that. And uh, you're going to notice a bunch of promo codes down in the show notes. Use them, save a bunch. Love you guys. Until the next time. Mm-hmm.